Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. My name is Sean, standing in for James Tiller tonight. And joining me on the podcast this evening is Coops. Give a shout out. Hello, hello. Also joining us is Oscar. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well. Thank you, mate. Very well. A bit sad we're into the last week of the F1 season, but everything good has to come to an end. Couldn't have said it better myself. And joining us tonight is a very special guest. We have Ben Hunt, journalist for The Sun, joining us. Thanks very much, Ben. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, and I'm delighted that it's the last week of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably a different perspective from, from, from where you're coming at. Yep. Just for before we get into everything, just for some of our audience who might not be aware who, who you are, give us a, a one-minute overview on yourself. Formula One journalist at The Sun. I've done the F1 circus for about 11 years. Prior to that, I've covered Premier League football, Ryder Cups, and golf all golf tournaments and football tournaments and all that all over the world. So that's a little bit of back, background about me. Yeah, not really much else to say. Who is your favourite F1 team? I don't really have a favourite. I know that's that's a boring answer, but <laughs> kind of impartial. I guess kind of growing up, it, uh, you know, my age would have been sort of Williams would have been the team that were sort of probably doing the best. And so you'd have affinity with them. I'm a Wimbledon football club fan and their colours are blue and yellow. So that would make sense with the Williams car. But I don't really have a have a favourite, I'm afraid. That is a very politically safe answer. Very, well done. Very diplomatic, <laughs> wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are Everything F1. You can find us, as always, on Facebook at Join EF1, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Discord, and our website, everythingf1.com. Now then, we want to get into the review of the Brazilian Grand Prix, which I think I might speak for everyone as saying, best race of the year, Coops? No, it was the worst one. Miami was better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was good. the. It was probably the best sprint race we've seen. There was actually some overtake. Um, uh, if I remember right, they said there was over 30 overtakes during the, the sprint. And then the race itself had pretty much everything you can think of. We had passes, we had controversial moments, we had Ricardo making a mistake. Yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> you know, the FIA stepping in with a slightly controversial penalty, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yes, uh, <laughs> and then we had all the then we had then it carried on afterwards with uh, some really interesting radio conversations and things. So uh, I had everything you can think of. Really. And as you said, the overtakes, and it wasn't just Lewis Hamilton making nineteen overtakes this year. Everyone got a little bit of a piece of the action. Oscar, what were your kind of just overview thoughts of the race? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, great fun to watch. As Coop said, a distinct lack of fake marinas, but I think we survived. And uh, yeah, overall, a brilliant race. I think Brazil always, you know, 
is a classic. I've grown up with it from 2007, 2008, 2012. And I think it does really well that even though it's a really narrow track, there is still a lot of overtaking, a lot of dicing with the with the new cars. So yeah, a fantastic race. And the fact that both championships are decided and it was still fantastic just shows how good it was. So had a lot of fun watching throughout the weekend. Agreed. And Ben, before we get into kind of the nitty gritty of it, where would you rank this in terms of the, oh, how many races have we had now? 21 of the season? Uh, yeah, we're at 21, are we? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. Brazil always has that ability to, to throw up a great race because the track is so great. It does lend itself to some spectacular overtakes and some elements and also the weather comes into play as we, as we saw all the way back on Friday with that what, what do we call it? Qualifying, I guess. Qualifying for the sprint race. You know, there, there was loads of it all the way through. And as Coops mentioned, it just carried on going. And that is the theme for this season, isn't it? It just keeps on rolling on. You know, who would have thought we'd be in a situation where we've got the dead rubber races and we're, we're talking about driver pairings and teams at each other's throats and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's really interesting. It's great for me. Great for the sport. Absolutely. And let's get straight into it. Let's start with the winning team, which we haven't said all season. I have quite boldly predicted many times on the show this year that Mercedes will get one victory this year and it won't be for Lewis Hamilton. Now they have one more week to prove me wrong, but so far I'm making my money back on that. I'll throw it straight back to you, Ben. What did you make of George Russell's first win in Formula One? Yeah, it was, it was perfect, wasn't it? I, I I was talking to him actually. We don't, we don't often see drivers out of out of the you know the in the environment of being in the paddock but we were in the airport lounge coming back from mexico and you know he was super confident you know the team was going in the right direction very pleased sort of understated he's you know i would say with regards to his chances of winning that race last weekend but you know he certainly came into the weekend and he just seemed to be getting stronger and stronger and it was it was great to see great to see the emotion you know the tears and and everything else and you know you could say it's long overdue it's not really though, is it? You know, he's only just been at that team a little while, but it was great. And it, and it's good for, for next year. You know, the fact that Mercedes have made these improvements gives us all some hope that there could be a three-way fight for the championship, which is obviously what we want. And before we throw on to the, I suppose, more decorated Mercedes driver, what do you think it is actually the changes specifically they've made, especially in these past two races? It can't just be the elevation because Brazil isn't anywhere near as high as Mexico was. Yeah. What is it that they've changed almost fundamentally about the car that has really seen them take this step forward? You know what? I'm not I'm not too sure, but I do know that there was an up, update which they brought for, I believe it was for Mexico. So there was obviously some improvements which they've made to the car and, and it, it, it's worked. And I think for me, the key line in it all was, was Lewis's comment where he said, he said, you know, we know what we need to do. It's almost as if they knew what the problem was all along, but finally they've cracked the code on how to do it. And, for me, that was giving me the impression that, you know, the team are in a better place now. They understand the car and what they were doing, why they were making it worse before they made it better, which, you know, kind of a, a long process, but it seems to have worked for them. Absolutely. And as you said, it's it'll be great to hopefully see a three-way fight next year, you know, if Ferrari get their strategies in order and we'll, we'll come on to some of their decisions a bit later. Coops, what did you make of Mercedes's perfect weekend, as you put it yourself in the show notes for today? Uh, yeah, it was. It couldn't really go much better for well, for George at least. Visual recovery drive for Hamilton with the with the early contact with Verstappen, and I think it was just one of those the one of those weekends for George. I mean, everything worked. 
the 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 pit wall got his his pit times right. You know, I think I, I put that on the chat during the race when they came out about a second in front of. Can't remember who it was. They were trying to make sure they got in front of. And it just you just feel like everything was right. Every time they'd done a restart, they'd done it. I mean, he kind of half-heartedly asked Mercedes, like, let's not race. You know, could we just go for the one-two and the EU? Because it was mm. discussed beforehand. You know, they were going to have a race. Uh, and he just and he just kept uh, Hamilton just about that one second just over, so they couldn't get a battle going. Uh, if you're going to win your first ever race in Formula One, you do it like that. And there's no argument. There's not. It was a fluke. It was this. This played into him. And if it wasn't for this, this happened. You couldn't do that with George this weekend. It just it was his weekend, and he was going to get it regardless. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And the fact that he backed up the sprint race with the, I suppose, feature race. I think a lot of people might have maybe still questioned his maybe ability or authenticity as a front-leading driver if he'd only won the sprint and started from essentially pole and not gone on to see the race through. Oscar, what did you make of, of George Rennie? But also, let, let's chat about Lewis Hamilton as, as well. How did you see his recovery after being smashed by Max again? Yeah, we've been here before with these two. But yeah, I, I think, you know, looking at Mercedes overall, firstly, just a little bit about Russell. Two really important things to remember is that one, he crashed it in, or span it, sorry, in qualifying. And, you know, that didn't seem to phase him. It all seems to be a bit of a feature of Russell that he doesn't let these things get him down. And two, the team let them fight at the end. You know, he beat Lewis fair and square. So full respect to him. In terms of Lewis, I think he looked, you know, abs- in absolutely blistering form in terms of his pace. It seemed to be, you know, fresh off the honors- honorary citizenship. So clearly kind of lapping up and enjoying the almost home support that he, re- that he received with a lack of a Brazilian driver on the grid this year. And uh, did very well. You know, the Mercedes did seem to have the fastest car, but he did well to come back from that early incident. And uh, I think, you know, overall, considering the challenges they've had this year, I don't think Hamilton will mind too much coming second at this stage of the season anyway. But if I could just throw a question over to Ben as well. It's been great to see Mercedes coming back fighting a bit the last few races. But do you think their continued development this season is going to hinder them in the first few races of next year at all in comparison to Red Bull and Ferrari? I don't because there's loads of bits which are carry over and... They were in such a mess that they needed to rectify what they had done. They obviously had a decision to make whether to stick with the design concept, which they come through at the start of the year, which which caught everyone out. And obviously they, they did stick with it, but of course it took them longer than expected. But if they are going to continue on this, this path with this particular car's development, then they needed to crack those problems for next year. So... It looks at the moment as if they have cracked those problems and they'll continue with the you know the same design ethos of that car. So they needed to do it. They've done it. They've done it their way rather than ripping it all up and starting again. I mean, that would have been one of the easier things to do, you know, start from scratch or maybe even just forget about this season and just concentrate on next year. But they have persisted with it. They usually split the time as the season goes on and they reduce the time which obviously they spend on this year's car. And obviously it's got to that point now where there won't be any more updates. You know, that's that's it done for the year. So, yeah, let's see how we go next year. But obviously quite confident finishing the year this, this way that they're going to be in the mix come Melbourne next year. Well, not Melbourne, is it? It's Bahrain. Come hmm. Bahrain next year. And it's actually interesting you talk about that, kind of the, the, the lead into next year. I want to bring it on to Red Bull. Not yeah. a great weekend for them by any means. Max 6th and Sergio Perez 7th. And we'll talk in a sec about why that maybe shouldn't have been the ending positions. But 
Do you think that might be maybe a bit of a factor in Red Bull's almost like disappearance of pace this weekend is that they've just kind of stopped. You know, they've won both championships. They have a couple of weeks, a kind of head start on everyone else to, to get going on next year. Do you think there's an element of that? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's there's been a lot that's gone on, isn't there, over the last couple of weeks with with Red Bull, you know, rewinding and you think the Sky boycott and you think of Mataschitz passing away, winning the team's championship, Max winning his championship. So there has been a lot that goes on and you could be, or you could forgive them for taking an eye off the ball. You know, everything's all done and dusted and yeah, perhaps they are indeed looking towards next year. But that said, I still expect them to turn up and look strong in Abu Dhabi this weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. They, you know, Max had a, had a good race there last year, controversies yeah. aside. And so did Perez, in fairness to him. And that brings me nicely onto, I suppose, the controversy around Red Bull this weekend. Sergio Perez says, if he has two championships, it's because of me. You had a really interesting article yourself that Max is coming yeah. into Abu Dhabi as the Cristiano Ronaldo of Formula One. Yeah. Give us your thoughts on Max ignoring the team orders so aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the timing of it is quite odd, isn't it? Ronaldo <laughs> doing what he did and um, obviously Max doing what he did, you know, end of the year and everything. But I was very surprised. I was surprised that Max did it and refused to swap positions. But what shocked me more was his aggression and the way that he delivered that that message to, you know, his team over the radio. You know, he effectively told them, you know, I, I'm boss. I've told you why I've done it before. Don't ask me to do that again. But, you know, it comes... It, that's very difficult for, for Christian Horner to manage. I mentioned in the article that, you know, he's been there before with multi-21, but mm. that was Malaysia 2013 and there was still all to play for. This championship's all done and dusted. There's nothing to be played for as far as Max is concerned. So the fact that he's dug his heels in and, you know, got so spiky over this particular issue is quite quite strange, but it also puts Christian in a tricky position as well. You know, two weeks ago, he was stood by his driver, boycotting Sky because of what they said about him. Now, it makes it quite difficult to stand by that driver when he just goes against everything that the team's just told him. So I think it's a real real tricky mix. You know, when we talk of Max, we talk about his dad, we talk about being very close to Helmut Marko, and we talk about his manager. You know, they're, they're, they're the four people who are key to this and they seem to have a very big big sway in, in the outcome and what's decided. Just getting back to your point about Perez, I don't buy the fact that Max wouldn't have two titles if it wasn't for him. I think that's a little bit overblown. I can still sense his frustration, but the reality is he shouldn't be in that position anyway. He should be second based on on having that car, really, in my opinion. So it's a real tricky one to manage. I wouldn't want to be Christian Horner at the moment and and Mm. sorting that out. He said that they've spoke about it and they can all move on, but let's see. Let's see. I I will believe it when Max is you know, in second and Charles is winning and Sergio is third. Is Max going to move out of the way? I won't believe it till I see it. <laughs> it's interesting you brought up Christian Horner there in multi-21. Yes, obviously the, the scenarios are a little bit different, you know, all to play yeah. for in 2013. Nothing had been decided, but I couldn't help but feel that Horner's public responses anyway were very, very similar to multi-21. It was very much, I know Max was wrong and there's absolutely no way in hell am I going to reprimand him for it because my golden boy, exactly yeah. like Sebastian Vettel. Everyone knew Sebastian was in the wrong in yeah. for multi-21 and also Turkey 2010 and Horner went out of his way to not blame Seb. Did you feel a bit of an air of that about Christian this weekend as well? No, you mentioned it. Yeah, perhaps there is a, a little bit of that. I mean, they do They do look... It's not just Red Bull though. You know, all these teams look after their 
star drivers, if you like, and, and massage their egos and, and, and look after them because they don't want to upset them. I know Max has got this mega deal that runs forever and they pay him a lot of money. And, you know, I know that that's there, but I also know that, you know, had that, you know, if that relationship does go, then, you know, you know who'd be there to, to pick up the pieces and that'd be someone like, you know, Mercedes or maybe Ferrari. So, you know, they want to keep him sweet. They want to keep him happy. And that's that juggling act, isn't it? You know, between keeping him happy and doing the right thing. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of an awkward one. And you mentioned Ferrari then, so let, let's move on to them. And Coops, uh, we saw another kind of, I suppose, inter-team dynamic, you know, Charles begging for Carlos to move out of the way so he could gain a march on Perez. And Ferrari didn't do it. Now, they said the reasoning is, well, one, it hadn't really been discussed in the first place. And two, Charles wasn't leading and, you know... Carlos had kind of earned his position and it would have been a little bit unfair to kind of take it away from him in that position because at the end of the day, Charles was still ahead of Sergio at that point of the race. What were your kind of, what were your thoughts on Ferrari's dynamic when it came to team orders on Sunday? Oh, Ferrari got it spot on. Uh, Charles Leclerc was just, it sounded a bit petulant, very much, you know, stamping the feet. And then at the end when they went, you know, there was too much of a risk, he went brilliant. You know, you're like, oh, Go to your room, you're not getting your supper. Look, come on. That's enough of that carry on. You know, as you say, the science done everything right. And to to get told to move away from a podium when you've done it right and you worked your way through, and you know, we don't need you to do that for second place in the championship. No. If it's a if it's championship material and you're going down to the last race of the season, and yes, you're waiting for the call as a fan and as anybody watching Formula One that understands it, you'd be waiting for the call. But for that, no. Not a chance. And the fact it wasn't even discussed beforehand. I mean, and Charles, I wouldn't blame him asking once and just saying, look, mm-hmm. any chance? And they go, no. Right, okay. But to continue, continually going, if that's what happened, because, you know, we get the edited highlights of the radio conversation, and then to have the, the response afterwards, just a wee bit petulant. But I, yeah. to be honest, I think it's probably Charles Leclerc's just done with this season with Ferrari. The way things went on with qualifying and firing them out on inters on a dry track, you know, and mm. everything that's been going on. And, you know, they, they had a committee meeting about which soft tyres were going to put on the car and things like that during the, the same session. I think he's done. You know, I think it was maybe that it was more frustration rather than just sheer petulance, but... Mm. Yeah, I, I have to stand by the pit wall for Ferrari, which I didn't think I would say this season. To be honest, no, not something we, not so, if, if if we put a if we put a euro in the jar every time we said that we'd have a euro in the jar or a pound <laughs> yes. in the jar for you lot. Oscar, it does set up an interesting finale, not the bombshell of a title decider we had last year, but. Ferrari, by their own admission, were playing it safe by not risking swapping the drivers because anything could go wrong. You know, we've seen teammates crash too many times and they are 19 points ahead of Mercedes going into the final round. But the interesting one is Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez are now, because their teammates wouldn't move over for them, are completely level on points at 290 with 26 to play for. Yes, if any of you aren't watching on Facebook, Oscar is rubbing his hands together in anticipation. (laughs) How are you looking forward to that? Who do you think is going to come out on top for that one? I'll start by saying that, you know, Leclerc can give all the sarcastic messages he wants over the radio. If he doesn't finish second this year, he'll have to look in the mirror himself and at the team on the pit wall because how many times have we seen them mess it up strategically? And that's the reason why, you know, he's he's in that fight because really he should be 
at least up there, you know, giving a giving Verstappen a bit of a run for his money into these last few races, and he's not. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think Ferrari's season, as we've said so many times in the last you know five to ten years, promised so much and yet delivered so little. Does Charles Leclerc is he really going to get that excited over second place anyway? It'll probably be a bit more money for them in terms of the finances, but not something which the Ferrari brand are lacking. So I think it just sets us up really nicely. And if I was going to go for a driver to take that second place, it's a tricky one. But I, I would say Perez. I think I think Perez is going to do it. I think maybe even spurred on by the you know what has happened you know last weekend in the brazilian grand prix maybe he's going to be spurred on by that and uh, and see it over the line but at the end of the day you know there was a, there were a lot of messages going back and forth between the teams but do you know do they really care that much about second place you know to swap them around you know deny science a podium in his case it's team play you know fair i understand that but there's no medals for second at the end of the day Mm. Ben, I heard a, an interesting comment at some point last week that Toto Wolf said that they would rather a race win than second place in the championship. Now, as it happens, they've got their race win and they're in good shape to steal second place in the championship. But yeah. the, the, the comment that I read was that it would almost be better for them for 2023 to have the race win. They've done that now. They've proved that they can still do it and that they've you know done a McLaren 09 and come back from the depth of nowheresville. But if they finish third... They get more wind tunnel time next year. Yeah. And with Red Bull's penalty for next year for breaking the cost cap, they get even bigger a chunk of development time over Red Bull. Some are predicting, you know, a good few tenths of a second worth of extra development time. Is yeah. third place better for Mercedes this year? Yeah, it possibly is actually thinking about it. When you when you when you look at that development time, the other aspect, of course, is prize money. Normally the team that finishes higher, well, always the team that finishes higher gets the most prize money out of one of the pots. Um the cost cap doesn't necessarily mean that they need to worry too much about this money now. So it's kind of taken that aspect out of play. And this, this is the balancing act, which they must be working and thinking, actually, yeah, we could do a bit more time in the wind tunnel. And yeah, maybe maybe third isn't so bad. And I also think that that win was so important as a boost morale-wise as well. You know, they, they've lost quite a few staff from Mercedes to, to Red Bull and, you know, the engine department and whatnot. And I think... People were looking around and thinking, hang on a minute, are we are we doing the right thing here? And of course that win confirms everyone's position and you know gives them a bit of a bit of a G up, right time to do it as well at the end of the year, carry that momentum through into next year. So maybe he has got a point. A bit of a G up, I think, is what we might title this episode for George. I like that. <laughs> well, that's the, the top three, I suppose, covered. So we'll we'll speed through the rest quickly enough and get on to talking about the finale. McLaren, Coops, I'll, I'll let you have a have a have a cry about this one while I sob to myself here. A DNF for Danny Ricardo because he hit Magnussen on lap one, and then Norris's engine blew up, which is I think their first mechanical retirement of the whole season. The retirement has been very very good, but it just gave up the ghost in turn ten, I believe it was, and it was their first double DNF in more than two years. So, tears. You know, uh, this season has been pretty poor to be honest the McLaren standards they shouldn't be as close as they are to Alpine and I mean they're not now but they were mm. they, they shouldn't be but the way the Alpine car is um, you know Danny's first lap touch on Max and to be fair to Danny Ricardo, it was the slightest of touches it was uh, and it was just sheer unlucky that just coincidence that he went the way that Magnussen decided to roll which for anybody that's 
the right thing for Magnussen to do. He was rolling away from the rest of the people, the uh, rest of the grid as they were coming through. We saw Vettel do uh, it in 2012. Yeah, just Roll freewheel backwards. It, yeah, we freewheel it out of the way, and it just it was some lack of though. Yeah, I didn't you know it wasn't until you see the onboard and how you know how quick mm. he went into the barriers, but kind of just if you can. Look at one thing that just epitomises 2022 or basically Ricardo's time at McLaren. That's it. <laughs> the slightest of touches, you're in the barrier. And Magnussen, it's just not the way that Magnussen wanted to go out, you know, after getting pulled. Lando, I think, is quite happy that his race ended early because he's been feeling pretty crap the whole weekend. I think yeah, pitch of food poisoning. I think it was an electrical issue for the end of that race. So, you know, yeah. And, you know, earlier on in the race, Norris, sent Leclerc into the barriers, which gave him a five-second penalty. But yeah, just not a weekend that they wanted to uh, they wanted to remember. And it, 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 it started off very well for them, you know, with the Alpines mm. tripping over each other at the sprint, and you think, <laughs> oh, this could be good. Uh, and then it's flipped on its head, so... Well, at yeah. least for content creators, it gave everyone a new McLaren driver at the side of the track in Brazil meme to, to giggle <laughs> about for the next few years. So Alonso uh, in the next chair could be retired. Yeah, interestingly, actually, speaking of drivers at the side of the track, Norris got the last seat in the medical car and Magnussen was forgot about. He had to make his own way back, which ended up being meaning that he went through a hole in a fence which somebody cut for him and had to walk where the fans were, <laughs> apparently, to I get back into... Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, I can't remember who i seen it. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, journalists on Twitter that I follow. Yeah, uh, apparently he had to come adventure going out and amongst the public to get back to the Haas garage. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you forget there's another driver. <laughs> there's poor Magnussen. <laughs> I don't know how you forgot that, but yeah. He had had too much stories written about him this weekend. Let's let's move it on to Alpine. As you mentioned, you know, start of the weekend looking like they were going to the, the, lose another march to, to McLaren this weekend. But for what, the second or third weekend, oh, that fourth place fight has swung around massively. Alpine are now 19 points clear. Fernando Alonso finished fifth. Esteban Ocon finished fourth after they'd finished trying to kill each other. Ben, oh, do you think... Eight. <laughs> Sorry, he eight. finished eight, eight with four points. Sorry. Yeah. Ben, do you think they will see it out in Abu Dhabi or are they going to take each <laughs> other out? No, I think it's. I think it'll fizzle out. It's such a shame for Alpine because they've just got in a safe stage where they've got what looks like a quick car and obviously the quicker drivers leaving, which is a shame. And I'm not sure how that relationship between Gasly and Ocon is going to go next year either. So, yeah, let's watch this space. But it, it just is a shame for that team that they're losing Alonso because obviously he gets the most. We, we saw it at McLaren. You know, every every team he's been at, he's always got the most out of a car. But when that car's pretty bad, he still delivers. And I think that's what he's doing at the moment for Alpine. I think his performances have been better than the cars actually were. So, shame for them that he's going. Absolutely. Moving on then to, to Alpha Tauri, who were a little bit anonymous. Oscar, do you even have any opinions on Alpha Tauri for this one? I might give you Alpine and Aston to talk about. <laughs> what, what did you think about those two this weekend? It wasn't a brilliant weekend for either of them, really, was it? Yeah. So, I mean, I had the, uh, the pleasure of, of writing the race report on Sunday. And I honestly could not tell you a single moment where Gasly or Sonoda... Did anything memorable? I mean, 14th and 17th. Without unlapping um, himself. Of course, yeah. And uh, yeah, j just a bit of a shocking race for them, really. I, I think 
AlphaTauri have done really well in the last couple of years. Of course, that win for Gasly is definitely the highlight, and that was an amazing result. This season, it seems to have stagnated a little bit. And, you know, losing Gasly, of course, is is a big deal for them. And I think, you know, it's it's a real shame. I think there's been quite a few signs that Pierre has unfortunately checked out a little bit of the Alpha Tarari team and is uh, looking forward to greener pastures uh, next year with uh, Alpine. Um, looking at Aston Martin very quickly, a solid, well... It seemed once again to have a lot of promise. And I will say that Seb Vettel is looking like a man with the the shackles have come off in many ways. As we see with a couple of drivers, remember Raikkonen was the same moving on. You know, when the end is in sight, I feel like these drivers do, you know, without the fear of contract renewals, they do let themselves express themselves a little bit. And Vettel was unlucky to get caught out on the uh, the medium tyre, which unfortunately just cost him quite a few places in the latter stages. Lance Stroll picked up a point, but uh, is it a good enough season from him? You know, 14 points so far in the season in contrast to Vettel's 36. I've heard a few people say Lance Stroll does have potential and you do forget how young he is sometimes. I think he's about 22 years old. One of you guys might correct me on that. But so still a lot of time to grow, but there is always this feeling that uh, Lance Stroll is, 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 is there on the basis of uh, of his father buying the team, it's fair to say, rather than maybe his potential to grow. Just a quick question to ask Ben as well on his last statement on Alpine. Um, yeah. And I've wondered this a couple of times um, throughout the season, really, and especially in the last few races. Uh, how far do you think Alonso could take a championship-winning car? Because with, with all the kind of sarky messages, yeah. sarcastic messages and snipes, he's still a fantastic driver, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he'd still be a threat. I think that he would be in the top three if he had one of those cars. You know, there's no doubt about it. His racecraft is still fantastic. If anything, he's probably forgot how to drive a super quick, super efficient car. You know, he's he's kind of out of practice. You know, when he left Ferrari, you know, they were in a bit of a bit of a mess, and and McLaren that those days were just awful. And he's had to work hard at Alpine. I think he would love another crack at a big team, but. I don't think it's going to come his way. You mentioned Stroll. There was a moment when he almost took out, or wasn't there? I'm not sure no. where it was, whether it was qualifying or sprint race, but they almost come to yeah, blows. I think uh, that was, was the sprint race, race wasn't sprint, it? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that will be epic next year, watching Alonso and Stroll. When Stroll almost took out Vettel, the Vettel message is, is hilarious. I think he just says something like, okay, you know, <laughs> as if to say... Okay, fair enough. That if that's how it is, Alonso won't be saying that. You know, he'll mm. be he'll be biting back. You know, he won't be minding his words, even though it's obviously the owner's son. I think it's going to be make or break time for for Lance next year. He could either be shown up, or he he may take the challenge and, and welcome it and step up his game and, and get more points. Let's see. But I fear that he's going to be absolutely hammered by Alonso. He is twenty four, by the way. My apologies. A couple of years out. Yeah. It's interesting you say, though, about, like, Oscar, about AlphaTauri stagnating. I'm just looking at the comparison. Last year, they finished sixth on 142 points, which is a great return for, essentially, the midfield team. This year, they are ninth on 35 points with a race to go, mm. and you wouldn't put too much money on them scoring any more points this year. So that that's a... That's a big setback after last year. Bring it on very quickly, Coops, we'll wrap up before we get on to the other kind of big story of the weekend, Mr. Magnuson. Williams and Alfa Romeo, don't really know much about what Williams, the only thing I even know that Alfa Romeo is, there was a couple of points and Valtteri Bottas was coaching Guan Yu Zhou on how to overtake while he was behind him. 
Did you catch that on the radio? He told the radio to tell Joe that Latifi was breaking early into 10, so to overtake him there. And then he himself went and did exactly that a lap later. What do you, you make of Williams and Alpha this weekend? Well, I, I forgot Williams actually were there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think Williams were trolling Latifi and just sent him out in the hards and went down to go, like, just just drive, just drive around to the loop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and Albon did what Albon does. I think, what was it, 14th, 15th or something, you know. But if he wasn't last, but that was more because Sonoda got caught out with that strange situation with the lapped cars, which was his number wasn't put up. So he wasn't mm. told he could unlap himself and he had to kind of pull out the way quickly. You know, the Alfa Romeo's Dunmail got themselves a couple of handy points, which is always it's good for them. They seem quite good throughout the whole weekend. They looked reasonably fast. And, you know, Bottas and Zoe has just shown what teammates should be doing to a point. Because, I mean, it's the only it's the only championship that I know of sporting-wise, and Ben can maybe correct me if it's not true, but where there's two championships, you've got a team championship and an individual championship, and all it does is it leads to what we've seen, you know, the Hamilton and Rosberg issues, Vettel, Weber, Prost, Senna. But then they've also got to be reined in and said, look, we're working for a team here too. Yeah. Uh, so it's always a bit, there's always that weird fine line. And it's good that they're able to do that. They're obviously not fighting for anything too far up the way. I, I wouldn't imagine if uh, if they two were fighting for a championship, you'd be doing the same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was nice to see. Refreshing considering what else came out at the end of the at the mm-hmm. end of the race. With other teammates. Yeah, yeah. It, it, interesting kind of comparison. Alpha Tauri, while they've dropped from sixth to ninth, Alpha Romeo have get, have gone up from ninth last year to sixth this year. They're on 55 points, five ahead of Aston Martin, and they look pretty nailed on to finish sixth this year. That's a really good step up for them and, you know, bodes well for, for Audi coming in in a couple of years. The team is sort of back on song in that midfield. They're a little bit closer to where Audi are going to want to be. How, how far up, further up would be if that Ferrari powered unit was just that wee bit more reliable? Well, yeah, very possible. They lost quite a few points when that when they were having that mid-season dip with that power yeah. unit. Bringing it on then to uh, a bit of a double whammy because Haas, even though they are technically bottom of our list here, had arguably the second big, third biggest with Rebel story of the weekend with <laughs> Kevin Magnussen being on pole. What did you make of that, Ben? Yeah, it's fantastic, wasn't it? Absolutely great. I mean... I think, you know, when when certain drivers do things like that, it's always a good barometer of how popular they are when you see the comments from other drivers and the people queuing up to show their respect. And, you know, we've got WhatsApp groups with with journalists in and, and usually it's all about, you know, tire data or whatnot. But there are so many congratulatory messages going back to the Haas group. And, and that speaks volumes about that team and, and how glad people are to see probably someone different, but also seeing Kevin there as well, bearing in mind what he's gone through, you know, various different times and teams in F1 and chew up, spat out, and then given the comeback. And he's, he's done well this year, you know. He's, he's mm. jumped in at the last minute and, you know, has delivered. And that was fully deserved. Obviously, the weather played a part, but it was it was great to see. And it was so funny because you've got him at the front and then right at the back, you've got you've got his teammate who's who's absolutely having a torrid time. And, you know, reports in Germany today that he's his F1 career is over and Nico Hulkenberg's back. And, you know, it's 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 totally the opposite. You know, you've got a happy driver and a sad driver. So, you know, it, I was pleased for Kevin. 
Yeah, well, I was going to bring it on to that, actually. Schumacher, obviously, Magnuson on Paul Schumacher, 20th. Mm-hmm. I, I've that been was reading close. <laughs> yeah, he was six and a half, three and a half seconds behind him. Unfortunately, that's, yeah, weather. But yeah, that, that doesn't look good on paper because no one will remember the weather. Everyone will just remember mm-hmm. that Kevin Magnuson was on pole. What do you make of, of Haas? Because I've, I've read a lot of the reports that now nothing's confirmed yet, we should say. Officially, as we're recording this podcast on Tuesday the 15th, it has not been confirmed that Nico Hulkenberg is back in Formula 1 for next year. But it pretty much has been. So let's talk about it, Ben. <laughs> what, do you make, what do you make about it? Do you think that's a good move for Haas or do you think they should keep Schumacher on for another year? Neither. Actually, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's a good move. Nico's a lovely bloke, but, you know, he's driven, what is it, in three years, he's done five F1 races where he's stand, standing in for other drivers. I think, you know, he is going to be rusty. He's 35. He wouldn't be the person that I would be picking to put in that team. I would be looking somewhere else, maybe a bit of youth. You know, they, they obviously went after Daniel, but didn't get him for, for Daniel's reasons, which I I still don't understand. You know, he, he seems to think that it'd be better being on the sidelines for a year. I totally disagree, but it's up to him. You know, I, it's difficult. I, I I've not seen enough of Schumacher to turn around and say, yeah, he deserves to be there. The crashes he's had have been big and he hasn't received any or much support for the team. We've obviously been quick to say, you know, he's costing us a fortune and that's Gunter and Jean and, and everyone sort of been piling on. I think that was their way of saying you need to stop doing it, you know, knuckle down and, and start delivering some points, which is the target they set him. But he just hasn't done that as well. It hasn't kind of gone his way. And I feel a bit sorry for him, really. I mean, comes in, you know, family legacy and, and is a decent kid. But I just haven't seen enough of him to justify his place in F1. And and I think that's probably where Haas see him as well. And, and, and they're going for Nico as a, a lack of suitable options elsewhere which is a shame I think that they could have been a little bit more creative with their choice and if you're going to ask me to pick someone I don't know who I would pick but I just wouldn't pick Nico I wouldn't go back for a driver of 35 who who hasn't driven a car for or you know competitively for for five years well it's interesting you say that because I'm looking through the the driver lineup for Formula 2 this year and on paper at least there's a wealth of talent there you got it Dennis Hauger, yeah. Jack Dewey, we Jay Hunterula, yeah. we had him on the show, Logan Sargent, Liam Lawson, Marcus Armstrong, Theo yeah. Porcher, Felipe Drogovic. Like the, the yeah. Formula 2 is as good as Absolutely. it has ever been. Yeah, I would take any of those over over Nico, I'm afraid. You know, I know Nico's got a few fans, but I'm sorry, I just don't I just don't see why they're doing it. If they if indeed they are in doing it, you know. Well, the other thing I wanted to ask is, as we said at the at the very top of the show, is the sprint race was extremely exciting. Are sprint races good for Formula One? Is the format right? And do you think they're right to up it to, I think it's six they're going for next year, or do you think it's a one-off? I, when, they, when they first announced it, I was supportive. I thought, yes, great. And then the first, first three races, it threw up an extraordinary grid or a crash. And I thought... You know, there was Monza, wasn't there? There was Silverstone. I forget what it was Brazil, wasn't it, of course? And there was so much incident around that weekend. And I just thought, there must be something. And I'm not sure if it's the sprint race or the fact that it's only a short practice session before going into a competitive session, whether that was the the, the, the factor. I don't mind them. I understand why they've done it. And, you know, they say it's to spice the action up. But, of course, it is for the promoter to sell more tickets to have a race on a Saturday and Sunday. So, you know, call me cynical. I do understand the reasons why. I think six would be okay. We need to test these things to see if it works. For me, 
qualifying wasn't the part which was broken. I think, you know, just of the weekend, it was too many practices and, you know, endless time on track, which was which was dull. You know, mm-hmm. it is dull. I would like to see that change. But yeah, if they, if they think that they can do this and maybe get rid of a practice session somewhere along the line, then great. You know, that would be that would be perfect for me. And let's see if it does work next year. Yeah. Oscar, what about yourself? Where do you stand on sprint races? I've heard some comments that, you know, for next year, even at one of them, they should trial a Formula One style, you know, reverse grade, even for the top 10 to at least toss something up or a full reverse grade and have Max Verstappen start at the back of the grid and overtake 30 people every weekend. Where do you stand on sprints, Oscar? What what do you think they should maybe change about one or all of them for next year if there's going to be six? And yeah, I just to quickly pick your brain on that because I haven't actually seen that report just yet. So so they so they were looking at a reverse grid, are they, in terms of the so qualifying takes place and then... So no, nothing's been announced by Formula 1. It's just a couple of reports that I've read of like ways to spice up. I've, I've read them in the lead up to this one before this one was incredible. But because the last five have been boring and Max Verstappen himself says that they're a bit pointless because his target is start at the top three and stay there and don't crash because Sunday is what matters and Sunday is still what matters even in Formula 2 Sunday is what matters in the feature race is more points but they need to do something else because they can't just rely on a freak weather incident to put someone else completely else on pole and shake up the grid a little bit because other than that they just wet the track so what are your opinion what, what's your opinion on sprints as a whole do you think they have been good are you looking forward to six next year or do you think they need a little bit more of a shake-up sure well yeah that's an interesting idea and you know i think it's good for a start that you know the rule makers are looking at ways to spice it up and make it more interesting as ben said there i do agree i don't think the qualifying format of the free qualifying sessions to determine the grid was an issue you know i really enjoyed that personally on a saturday it was the practice sessions that i wasn't really watching week in week out because they can be a little bit tedious. I personally do like the sprint races, I've got to say, and I think that it falls in line with F1's policies in many ways over the last couple of seasons in which they're appealing to a more casual market from, you know, drive to survive to mixing it up with the sprint races, you know, more engagement on social media channels. It's all about more bringing the casual fans. Now, you know, whether the hardcore fans uh, like ourselves, you know, are really going to love that all the time, unfortunately, isn't, you know, isn't going to make a difference because you do need a mix. You can't just rely on the people who watch every single session of every single race. You need the more casual fans who might just tune in for a sprint race and then think, oh, that was great. I'll check out the race as well and i have seen that you know i have friends who you know they know a bit about f1 but they're certainly not there watching races week and week out and i have seen them talk to me a bit about the sprint races and how good that's been and oh okay that's quite nice actually you know we've got a bit of qualifying on a friday now the sprint on a saturday and that's drawn them in so i have seen the sprint race do what i think it, it set out to do and that's to make f1 more entertaining Of course, the downside is that, you know, we haven't quite seen a situation yet where a sprint is truly costly. And let's say, for example, we went into Brazil with two drivers going for the championship and one of those drivers was ran into the back of in the sprint race. You know, that 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 can that can make a big impact. Of course, I. I've just realized I'm going to have to go back on that statement because, of course, Hamilton was was severely impacted in in his comeback last season. So I, I guess we have had a taste of that. And that was interesting. Of course, that was great to see. 
but it's fair to say the Mercedes and Red Bulls were, you know, miles ahead of the pack, you know, in many ways, Red Bull are this season, but the overall grid's got a bit more condensed. And what I just worry is that going into, let's say, the penultimate race next year in Brazil, we have a sprint Grand Prix and one of our championship contenders gets taken out in the first corner. And that then kind of spoils the rest of the sprint race and, and possibly the race on Sunday to see who's going to win the championship as well. Yeah, we certainly don't want championships ever be decided on a Saturday by the sprint race. Coop's final thoughts on, on sprints after the last one now this weekend? Well, I'm still not a fan, but then I've been watching Formula One since 1992. So when you start coming into sprint races and all that sort of gimmicky stuff and, you know, the supposed, you know, idea that they're going to go for reverse grids, and I'll keep that with the British touring cars or another, you know, some other formula that's not what uh, Formula One is for. In my head, I mean, to be fair, I mean, the sprint race was decent and it was nice to see, but there needs to be a bit more tweaking. I've said it, and I think Ben kind of hinted earlier, you know, we don't need that practice session after the sprint race. Mm. Don't have it. Why do we have it? But it's, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's all about money. You know, they want the cars on the tracks. It just seems weird that you have a, is it a practice qualifying Practice, practice sprint sprint race mm. it's just a bit off but the, the uh, weirdest thing is the weirdest thing is when you've got someone taking pole position that doesn't have pole position for the race you've got that sprint race and that's all to deal with all the statistical data because yeah. magnuson was he took pole position for the qualifying for the sprint race sorry qualifying for the sprint race he had pole position yet george won the sprint race but didn't get pole position do you know what i mean it's just yeah. that that's that's why I personally like the suggestion of even a top 10 flip for Saturday because yeah. Kevin Magnussen qualifies on pole. He should be at the front of the lights on Sunday. That's the one everyone cares about. That's the one that's going to be in all the papers. The image of Kevin Magnussen on pole on a Sunday should have been the story. And I can't remember who qualified 10th. Was it Charles Leclerc? He'd have been on pole on Saturday or at least on first position on Saturday. And if he finished, he'd have gone back to 10th on Sunday. I think that's more interesting if they're going to do it like i absolutely adore formula two because that's just a bit more interesting we'll move it on to we leave brazil now we'll move on to the final race of the year we'll have a quick chat about it it is of course this sunday it is the abu dhabi grand prix it is the finale of the 2022 formula one season already this feels like a really short year but then the last two years were unnecessarily long so i suppose a short year probably do us all the world of good Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is held at the Yas Marina circuit. Of course, it is a 5.281-kilometer circuit. There will be 58 laps. It was first said the first Grand Prix was first held in 2009, and the lap rate is a 126.1. Now, if you're watching in the UK or Ireland, where I am, FP1 starts Friday at 10 a.m. FP2 is Friday at 1 p.m. FP3 is Saturday at 10.30. Qualifying is Saturday at 2. And then the lights are out at, for the race on Sunday at 1 p.m. And it is, of course, a very unique dusk race it starts in with the sun up and ends with the lights on so it's always it looks like a beautiful setting and ben you said you're going there are you looking forward to yep. it yeah yeah i am actually yeah it's always quite a nice race it is it's pretty special when the sun sets and yeah it's good it's good it's quite a quite a nice venue to to work at it's not the best racetrack i think that was last week unfortunately they they, they can't pick and, and move that Interlagos circuit around otherwise they should because that would be fantastic but yeah it's, it's a good setting I'm not sure how my predictions for, for you might come to this later but I, I don't know how it's all going to play out I think you know 
we keep going into these races and I keep thinking, oh, it's dead rubber. It's just going to be just something straightforward. I remember actually saying this in, in Mexico. Now everything's decided. I just want a straightforward race. I don't want any stewards hearing or anything like that. And, you know, after the, after the result and just want it to be straightforward because last mm. year was such a nightmare. I mean, I had, I did an eight page pullout for, for Lewis winning the record eighth championship and everything else. And I was half a lap away from, having that published and then obviously with the result that happened it just goes all in the bin and no one mm -hmm. ever sees it you know it never sees the light of day and you're like wow and I think looking back last year it was kind of all looking at it thinking what's just happened you know you're kind of in in disbelief and you know I think that a lot of people were waiting for an announcement or a verdict or a rerun or whatever they was going to do and it just never came and you know we'll be going back with those memories and it's going to be quite interesting going back, actually, I think, um, for a lot of people, just sort of taking it in and just assessing how far we've come in 12 months. Coops, they made some changes to the track last year, obviously. Do you think they've been good? Obviously, we saw that dramatic uh, title-winning overtake at one of the changed corners. Do you think it'll make maybe less of an impact this year, or were they good changes, or, or does the track need to change maybe a bit more? Oh, yeah, bulldoze it and start again. It's never been a particularly good track in terms of racing. And I know they've made some changes, but it's like putting a plaster onto a broken arm. It's just... It's, I don't know what it is they did. It, it should work. It just doesn't. Mm. Uh, I think the chicane between the two long straights is just a bit too slow. Yeah. It's a bit that... too fiddly, because we saw Alonso get stuck behind... Was it Petrov for... 50 laps and lose the championship as a result yeah. of it because even though he had a faster car at two kilometers worth of straights you could never get close enough well i mean if you think about it and it took me a few seconds to remember last year's race because we all just focused on the last lap the last couple of laps <laughs> but nothing happened no at all. it was a boring race <laughs> and that was with the changes the only thing that happened was was it the first lap where hamilton didn't Take, was it a chicane, one of the chicanes he cut yep. through and then there was the that. The then nothing happened. And we're all, we did a watch along with a few of the guys from the team and we were just generally chatting away and then the next thing was TP crashes and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> but the actual I... changes didn't do anything. So, no, I mean, I think, I think, I think people enjoy it as the reverse of like Australia when it was the first race of the season because mm -hmm. maybe for Ben... This is him knowing, like, I'm going to be able to chill for a wee while now. <laughs> so I think that's why yeah, I think that's why people enjoy the Abu Dhabi. Nice uh, setting is, for that, all right? Yeah, yeah you know. I, and for Australia, it's like, oh, it's the start, and we forget how crap it is. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, I'm not expecting anything really. I think is been hinted the Alpine McLaren thing's going to fizzle out. I think Alpine have pretty much sorted that. I think yeah. the only thing to look at is whether how well. Ferrari will strategize themselves out of second place in the driver's championship. <laughs> so how, how Ferrari will strategize Mercedes to getting second, basically. Yes. Yeah. They will do something <laughs> stupid. The two, the, two of, the two of them are going to try to like outsmart each other because they're going to want that extra development time. So they might <laughs> just have all of their drivers crash into each other at some point in their age just for something oh. dramatic. But you're right. Um, last last year's race was dull. I didn't even actually watch it live. Wow. I was out. I was out actually adopting a kitten at the time, and we were th four hours late for the race. We had it recorded, and amazingly, we managed to avoid the internet for four hours. Now we were driving for right. two of those hours. So that was easy. But go we got by, home. Go by what happened. 
you should have had somebody say something we should, yeah. somewhere. We, we message everyone we know to say, do not say a word. And by the end of it, they're all like, oh my God, we wanted to say so many words. But we sat here watching, oh my God, this is the worst finale ever. This is so uninteresting. And then what was it with four, five, six laps to go? My girlfriend takes her phone out going, this is over, this is over. I was like, I promise you it's not over yet. It's not over yet. <laughs> and a lap and a half later, Latifi sticks it in the bloody wall. And all hell broke loose. I think she twisted her ankle, jumping for joy. Mental. It was good fun. But the rest of the race was very boring. So yes. I, I am also not especially expecting all that much. I would like McLaren to pull off a miracle, but I don't think they will. Oscar, any hopes or expectations for Abu Dhabi? I mean, if you're expecting me to be the glass half full, then I'm afraid <laughs> you're disappointed. You know, F1's done a lot right in the last couple of years, but giving Abu Dhabi the final race, especially with that, I believe it's now a 10-year contract until 2031, was one of the worst decisions, I think. You know, Brazil had the drama, the history. It's a great racetrack, and I'm sure they you know, benefited financially, but I, I just don't think it was worth it because as, as you guys have alluded to, I, I just can't think of any, any real good races, you know, it was of course very hectic, but as you guys suggested again, we, we remember last year because of the way Verstappen won the championship, not because it was a fantastic race or Abu Dhabi gave us a, you know, a, a cracking finale in terms of the actions. So I'm not too too confident about Abu Dhabi as a racetrack, but at least we've got some great storylines, you know, from Perez and Leclerc down the field, Alpine, McLaren, Aston Martin and Alfa Romeo. So, you know, we've got enough to keep ourselves entertained. Yeah, and 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 Latifi's last race in Formula One. Oh, oh no. That is the real tragedy of the weekend. Oh, I'm already crying. <laughs> <laughs> so if I ask you to predict, are you going to say he's going to, he's going to win the race? <laughs> well, that'd be something, wouldn't it? They might, cool. might think twice. Go on then, give, give us your top three for the last race of the season. I see it going Max, Sergio, Lewis. Max, Sergio, Lewis. Interesting. Okay, Oscar, your, your predictions? I'm going to go for Lewis to, to, to get his, his, his much-desired win to keep his streak going with the victory. I think Verstappen is going to get second and the clerk is going to get third. Interesting. Coops? Yeah. It is Max... Leclerc. I don't think the I think the Mercedes done well this weekend because it's track specific. I don't think it's they've quite crossed that line yet. As Ben yeah. said earlier, I think they know what they need to do next year, but I don't think that will work in Abu Dhabi. It's just not suited to them. It's quite a draggy car and it's quite a long straight in Abu Dhabi, so it won't be I, it won't be up there. I completely agree. I don't think Mercedes are going to be in the fight this year, which makes me happy because I'll have been right from day one that Lewis won't get a win this year. My top three is going to be Charles, Perez, and Carlos Sainz, because he is in a good run of form at the moment. And I think he's boy, but I do think Charles is going to have a strong end of the season and hopefully Nico Rosberg himself into next year. One final piece of news that I just wanted to touch on. There has been wild rumours, all disclaimed so far to do with Ferrari, that Mattia Bonotto is getting the sack and Fred Vasseur is going to replace him. Ben, have you any insight into that wild well, that'd be, rumor? That'd be a disaster, wouldn't it? I just can't see that happening. I can't see it happening. I'm surprised Mattia hasn't come in for more 
criticism. I think he's got an easy ride at the moment off the Italian press. I think they would have been in for him a little bit more, but of course it's it's his legacy. He was he was the guy, wasn't he, back in the day? So maybe that buys him a little bit of time. I do think they need some some fresh ideas. I think their shopping list shouldn't be a new team boss, but it should be a person's responsible for strategy. That mm-hmm. is the massive hire they need to do. Completely agree. Right, well, that kind of covers all of our race chat. Before we finish up, I wanted to have a very quick chat specifically about our special guest, Ben Hunt, who's a journalist for The Sun. Starting off, you've talked about at the very top of the show that you've covered almost every sport. So Not from rugby. Oh, I've never it. done a professional. I've never done a professional rugby match. Damn it! There goes my question because I'm a big rugby fan. No, other than rugby, what is your favourite sport beyond Formula One that you've covered in your career? Well, I love football. I'm a football fan. You know that was my my big thing. But probably Ryder Cup at K Club. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. Go Ireland. You know that was quite <laughs> emotional. Darren Clark recently lost his wife, and I remember him sinking a putt and then sinking several pints of Guinness afterwards. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> iconic iconic sporting moments. Good year that. Good year that. What has been your favorite Formula One race that you've been to and covered? Mm, that's really tricky. Putting you on the spot on that one. I know mm. what my favorite Formula One race of all time is. It's Canada 2011. Yeah. Uh, I've never taken a nap during a Formula One race before, but I did then. It's still <laughs> there's still my a, there's opinion. Been a, there's been a few when I've come close to taking a nap in, I'll tell you. <laughs> Usually um, an Abu Dhabi Grand Yeah. <laughs> favorite one. Oh, do you know what? Probably when. Luis and Nico took each other out in Barcelona. Oh, good choice. Um, and Max won his first race. Yeah, and Max won his first race. There was just so much to it. Yeah, that was that was my favourite. Just because of, from my point of view, you know, it just generates stories and it was just epic. Very good. Coops, any questions for, for Ben? It actually, it's actually back to the Formula One thing I meant to ask you earlier. The Hamilton-Verstappen contact. When I initially seen it, I thought Hamilton was a wee bit to blame. I don't think he gave him enough space. Then I've kind of thought, no, I think it's more racing incident, the way the corner worked in. Yeah. Uh, we all know if I gave a five-second penalty. What was your what was your initial thoughts when you seen it and have you changed your mind looking back no. on it? When I first saw it, I thought there was no room given and I thought, I thought the stewards got it right. And this year I find myself hating on the stewards quite a lot. And I don't mean to, it's just I get frustrated by some of the decision making and the time that it makes sorry time that it takes to make those decisions but I think they actually called that one right but that's why we we like these sporting events because it gives us stuff to debate right yeah mm, very true another one for me you mentioned you, you weren't in at the last race in, in, in Brazil but you will be in Abu Dhabi so next year or just a year in general what does your year look like how many races would you typically go to in person it depends on what did I let's work out what I missed this year I missed out Brazil I missed Japan I missed Oof. Miami because of a visa thing. My passport got lost and I missed Australia, but I did everything else. So that's probably a typical year. I don't know how many that is. What, what is that? 19? You missed four. Uh, so 18. Yeah. It'll be, yeah. So 18 of the, I mean, next year there's 24. I just yeah, don't think it's physically possible to do 24. I think, you know, if I was to do, 15 to 18, then that would, would make sense. It's not ideal covering them from home. But, you know, I, I was looking at the, 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 the schedule next year and it was around Mexico time and we had a couple left. And I was talking to a few of my colleagues and I was like, look, you know, this time next year, we've got like four left, but there's a, or five left or something like that. There was a triple header across two continents. So you've got Austin, Mexico, Brazil, 
followed by then you'd go home for a few days followed by vegas which we know is going to be absolutely bonkers and vegas and abu dhabi you know like they're not close together none of those races and you know that is an absolute breaker when you think about it when it when it comes to if if there's teams fighting for championships and drivers fighting for championships it's going to be brutal so let's see how many i do it might be for a couple at the start all the european season and a couple at the end but it depends whatever my boss tells me to do it doesn't it, it doesn't really say much for Formula One's goal to be carbon neutral and have more of a well, sustainable that they're going from no. North America to North America to South America to the Middle East and back again in the space of what a month. Yeah, the, the, the I think the, the carbon thing is a bit bit of an ambitious target. I assume that all weaves into the sustainable fuel that they want to introduce in the next mm-hmm. couple of years. So I guess it's more that side of things, but yeah, the, the schedule doesn't make sense, but I, I did have a chuckle because earlier in the year it was in Saudi Arabia and they'd done a deal with MSC Cruises and this giant cruise ship just turns up just just on time, perfect for the TV shots and the photos and everything else. I don't think there was anyone on this cruise ship other than the crew and it'd come all the way from Dubai just for like a marketing stunt, if you like, just to turn around and go back again. It was staggering. Mm. you know how much would that have cost in terms of fuel you know mixed messages absolutely Oscar any questions for, for Ben uh, yeah just one question Ben and it, it's uh, related to what we've been talking about over the last few minutes of course F1 is becoming more global by the year in terms of the calendar and uh, mm. free races in North America next season and uh, as a result we're seeing a lot of the traditional European you know heartlands in terms of the F1 history kind of disappearing of Germany yeah. of course Big one with their two tracks no longer doing the biannual. And of course, to the shock of many, there was some talk about Spa disappearing during the season, which I for one would have been gutted if, you know, that had been that had gone any further. Uh, so what's your thoughts on the state of the F1 calendar now? And do you see it just becoming more and more global in the future? Yeah, I think it will be more global. I think Lewis said a few years ago, cash is king with regards to why we were in Australia during the COVID pandemic. And he was probably right with regards to that. But, you know, I I think that ultimately F1 is a business and it does need to attract new races and and races that are going to pay top money for it. And if you're a circuit that can't afford to pay, then the reality is there is another one who will, you know, whether that be South Africa, you know, we only have two races in Asia now, you know, we've got four in the Middle East and only two in Asia. That's, that's a bit of an imbalance, but of course, you know, you, you're asking tracks in Asia to, to stump up the same sort of money, which tracks in the Middle East are paying. If you want to get on the calendar, that's now the entry fee. So it's a tricky one. At what point do you judge it? Because those tracks in the Middle East, if they find out that there's a cut price deal for Spa or Silverstone or the historic tracks, are they going to be happy about paying the money that they are? So everyone's got to get that, that mix right. I think having... I mentioned the calendar and and obviously trying to group races together. I think that that's a big factor for me. And I think that by putting, you know, Australia and Malaysia, if there was a Malaysian race or even Japan together, that would make much more sense than back and forth, back and forth. I just think that more could be done to make it easier. I've got nothing wrong with the 24 races being on the calendar, but just an easier travel schedule would be better. I think, you know, for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask a slightly difficult question. I'm going, okay. I, I'm going to put you to the challenge now. So I won't mention anything, but now this isn't a comment about who you write for or any yep. newspaper in particular, but 
how much of your writing style do you think is dictated by, I suppose, maybe the core audience of your publication? Do you, th- do you feel sometimes things have to be a little bit sensationalized or think, is maybe that not apply to you so much? No, I think that, you know, you ultimately you are, you know, one of the first things they teach you when you go to uni and, and, and my postgrad and everything is that you're writing for your audience. So you try and think of the people who are, reading your website, reading your paper, and, and you're kind of writing for them. But what I would say is that, you know, my, my stuff, I always feel, you know, I'm comfortable with what I write and I believe what I write and everything that I've ever done, you know, I have total, you know, I stand by, you know, if I make a mistake and I'll come out and say, yeah, I was wrong on that one. I didn't mean to, to make that prediction or I got factually wrong or whatever it was, but Actually, I believe in in what I what I say, but I also like to have fun with words. I think that it would be, you know, I used to when I used to do football. You know, you'd watch one football match, and I, I would at times work for maybe seven different publications from everything from, you know, the Times, Telegraph, all the way through to the Daily Sport, which is obviously a very totally different type of newspaper. It's not around anymore, but I don't think it is. But you know, you have to articulate yourself and, and write according to what the newspaper want the style mm. that they want and the readers want and so at the end of the day it's the same race it's the same football match the scores the same the results the same but you just have to paint it in a way that your reader relates to so yeah i don't i don't have a, a problem it's a bit of a skill i think most people if you're sat down in front of a blank screen on a, on a laptop when you're typing you, you definitely sort of articulate yourself a lot better than than what you do you know, when you're talking, and that's definitely the case for me, I find it easier to write a longer piece than I would a short piece because mm. you've already got so much space to to get all the details in. So, but I like it. I like having fun. I like having fun with intros. I like seeing what the guys in the office do with the headlines. And I think that's the main main thing. If you look at it in, the, in print the next day and you're happy, then all good. Very good. Thank you for asking that one. I, I particularly enjoyed your piece a couple of weeks ago on the toxic fan base. And how yeah. Netflix has potentially brought a drive to survive has brought maybe a football style fan base into form of the one that it certainly didn't have before. I have to say, I completely yeah. agree with you on that. I thought that was a, a fascinating piece. What kind of inspired that one for you? I just saw a lot of negative re- reaction. This was after the Ted Kravitz and Sky Max mm. row. And I, and I found out that he was getting absolute, you know, despicable abuse. Adrian Newey's wife. It became involved in it and then she had to delete her tweet because people were piling on and it happened at the same time as the Twitter takeover with Musk and I just felt that there was no accountability people are still able to say really hurtful things to people with no comeback and it's just nasty and I think mm. that you know F1 has done a lot of right and it has attracted so many new fans and I'm not asking them to to make or to try and encourage people to to behave but we do need to find a way to protect it because otherwise it will just become a toxic sport toxic culture it'll become acceptable even today i was watching i forget where it was on one of the social media and there was someone burning a max verstappen hat at home you know and obviously in the wake of the the perez stuff and you're like wow you know that's 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 deep-rooted people doing Mm. stuff like that is weird but also quite quite sinister and nasty and i don't want to see people like that turning up at races i still want it to be be nice that's part of the beauty of this sport is that you know you come and you have big grandstands and all that sort of stuff we don't want to get in a world a world where we've got home and away fans if you like i don't think that that's the right right move or a right look for f1 because it would be the wrong way to go i completely agree and I, i'm quite openly not the biggest fan of lewis hamilton but 
uh, or Max Verstappen, to be honest, I was just happy to see him win just for a new name at the top. But I absolutely detest when they're booed. Doesn't matter what country they're in or what the scenario in is, I hate seeing the boot. I think it's so unnecessary. And you're right, it is very, for want of a better word, toxic. Coops, any final questions for Ben before we wrap up from yourself? Yeah, a kind of general one. I've, in the, my, my kind of journey working with everything F1, you know, I started writing articles and things and I've never done it before. Uh, me and Teller met on Facebook and we started talking and this kind of grew from there. What advice would you give to like myself or anyone who wants to start doing article writing for Formula One? How would you go about it? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of at that point where I can't really go to uni. I've got, you know, a family and, you know, I've got a few yeah. girls. Yeah. So what, what would you, as someone who works in it, how would you, what advice okay. would you give? I could talk for an hour if you want, but uh, I'll try and keep it. I'll try and keep it short. But there's nothing stopping anyone from doing it. I think that's the beauty. I think, you know, it's definitely more accessible now in terms of starting out and writing because anyone can do a blog, anyone can start a podcast, and you don't have to have a bit of paper from university telling you that you've passed a particular test in order to do that. It's obviously fundamental the further you get down the the line to to do. A course, if you, if you can, just to learn your your rights with regards to to the legalities and such. But there's nothing stopping anyone at any age from starting out. But I would always suggest starting local. So going to a local kart track or a local circuit, or and just meeting people there. And and I think the biggest mistake that people make is that they just assume that they can get into Formula One. Oh, I've started writing my blog. That means that I can get a ticket. It doesn't work like that. You've got to put in the hard graph, make the contacts further down and work your way through the championship, if you like, and and try and have that goal of getting to F1 because ultimately those drivers that you talk to at your local tracks, hopefully they will be coming through into the lower categories and then they become a bigger story. Once you start building a network with them and you, you, you start talking to them, you might want to do PR for them, you might want to do videos for them or you might want to be the press officer or you might want to do you know, news articles, once you start have those contacts and you start speaking them to a regular basis, then you reach out to your, you know, your autosports, your motorsport networks and say, look, hi, I'm a freelance. I've got this great contact with this person. And obviously think of the story, you know, always have that story in mind, you know, try and pitch it to, to the desk and say, look, this is good because, and then take it from there. And then once you've, you've made that contact at that particular website or newspaper or wherever, just build on those relationships. But I think the biggest piece of advice is no one's stopping you from doing it, but you, only you can do it and you've got to do it. No one's going to give you that job. No one's just going to turn around and just say, okay, there's your F1 paddock pass. You've got to go out and get stories and just work your way through it. It's definitely something that, I mean, we we knew our ultimate goal is to get accredited for Formula One and that's yeah. for most of the podcast. And for me, it was quite... I mean, I wouldn't say I was shocked, but it was the criteria that you need to yeah, have before Formula One even entertain you. Yeah. And then it's the, the, the pass is done by the FIA, not Formula One, but they do stipulate, you know, circulation figures in, in the case of print or website views and, and, and various different ways. The, the, because if you didn't, and the press room is already getting that way, but it'll be overrun with with people who shouldn't be there. And that, that mm. sounds really arrogant for me to say such a thing and, and and of course everyone has a right to be there but if you're there and you're not actually working I mean uh, 
it's not normally UK publications, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to where were we? Mexico, for instance. And in the post-match, post-match, post-race press conference, there were people there who were clearly not working. Should we should mm. we say it that that way? And, and that is obviously where they slip through the net, and that makes me frustrated because there are so many people who are working to build platforms and who have such a big reach, you know, like you guys, there's loads of different websites now who should have access in terms of, in terms of getting it. I think that you just have to persevere. You just have to keep emailing, keep applying and keep sending in the reasons why. And eventually that door will, will open for you. Once it's opened once it's a lot easier to get in the second time. Yeah. And, it, and it, I can always, if, if you need some help and point in the right direction, I can I can do that for you. Passion. That'd be awesome. Thank you very much. Ask her any final questions for me? I, I think I've asked everything I needed to ask, but it's a pleasure speaking to you, Ben, and I appreciate Likewise. the advice there on um, uh, writing and increasing engagement. Good, goodness said about myself. I do have one final question for you. Now, we usually do this with guests towards the start of the season, but since this one is basically over, I'm going to put it to you now. Who's going to win the 2023 Formula One World Championship? <laughs> Fernando Alonso, shall we say that? Uh, okay. Oh, okay, well, that, let me phrase it how we, how we usually phrase it. If you had a fiver right now, or mm. I suppose on Monday when the betting office is open for next year, who would you be putting that fiver on for next year? Because we'll take a note of this and we'll remind you next year who you said. Okay. Oh, my word. I'm going to go George. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. I mean, it's obviously it's obviously fresh in the memory from from last weekend. Mm-hmm. But I think if if Mercedes do get it right, I've seen enough from George this year to know that he won't be daunted going up against Lewis. And I think that he obviously has the ability to do it. Yeah, George. Let's go, George. Brilliant. Well, I, we will definitely keep that recorded and keep that in the memory for next year. I named, <laughs> I named my cat after George, so I probably agree with you, but I'm going to hold my fiver till after preseason testing. I just wanted to put you on the spot. <laughs> that will do it from us for tonight. Thank you to the team, Coops and Oscar. Thank you very much, lads, for coming along. Thank you. Absolute pleasure as always. And thank you very, very much to our guest, Ben Hunt. It's been an absolute joy talking to you this evening. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. We are Everything F1. You can find us everywhere on social media at JoinEF1. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. And as a quick reminder, the finale of the 2022 Formula One season takes place this weekend in Abu Dhabi on Sunday. Lights out at one o'clock UK Ireland time. So be sure to tune in because there is still enough to play for that it should be at least a dramatic final in some way something's going to happen thanks you're always forcing for tu- it you're forcing it I am yeah I'm going to regret that one aren't I I'm going to come back out on Tuesday and I'll have regretted that one yeah. I'm going to stand by it for the sake of ending this episode thank you very much for joining me I have been Sean and we will see you next week to review the whole season of Formula One on the Ending of One Podcast thank you very much